0: podcast listeners today's episode is straight fire at the beginning of february i was driving across the country from new mexico down to florida to do my winter run in florida and i stopped off in mobile alabama to catch up with a friend of mine the head of gulf coast ducks and former fair manager of the greater gulf state fair scott Tyndall. The man is a hell of an entrepreneur. You may have seen him on Shark Tank. He now runs his own operation called Gulf Coast Ducks. And we talk entrepreneurship, hospitality and tourism, and what the fair market taught him. I hope you enjoy the episode. You're listening to Fair
1: Game, the fair industry's premier podcast experience
0: with your host, Robert Smith, Scott Tyndall. Former fair manager of the Greater Gulf State Fair here in Mobile, Alabama. Uh, Scott, for those of my listeners who don't know you, why don't you do like the two-minute summary, who you are, how you ended up at the fair, what you're doing now.
1: All right, that's that's a great question. Um, Born and raised here in Mobile, got a degree in secondary education from Auburn University, thought I was going to be a teacher, always cared about helping people. I quickly realized that teaching was not going to be for me. Went to a law school at the University of Alabama and uh, practiced We won't
0: hold for- that against yeah, you. Yeah,
1: that's right. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm an Auburn guy, but you know, I can pay you the card I need. Um, and was practicing law and um, realized that wasn't really how I was going to help people either. Had an opportunity to um, you know, get into the startup world and work for an international maritime security company putting uh, Marines and weapons on ships in the Middle East to solve, uh, protect ships from Somali-based piracy. And um, have always been interested in creating new things and changing new things, and um, had an opportunity to get involved in the Greater Gulf State Fair um, in a way that was entirely unexpected. Um, but you know, I told them from the beginning, you know, I don't really know anything about carnivals, corn dogs, or cattle. And uh, but they had a vision that you know we were just going to use normal business processes and you know creativity and innovation to change what we were doing. So the fair had always been just kind of the fair. 10 days in the fall It's where 90% of the revenue was coming from for, for the organization, but it was unsustainable. And we were losing about $100,000 a year.
0: Huh.
1: And so um, I was kind of brought in to shake things up and create something new. And so we transformed it into what we call now The Grounds. And it's a, it became a year-round event venue. And uh, we decided that we were gonna create the cleanest, most family-friendly event in America. People said, how in the world are you gonna do that? especially at a fair.
0: in Mobile, of all places. I
1: said, well, people haven't been to every event in America. So if we're just the cleanest, most family-friendly event they've ever been to, to them, we meet that standard. And so we we set about to transform it. We went down to the Disney Institute and took our staff down there, got behind the scenes in their parks and resorts to uh, learn how they do, why they do what they do. And our great takeaway was, if Disney does it and it's effort-based, we can do it. If it's training, if it's... um, you know going forth and outworking people we can do that if disney does it and it's budget-based obviously you have to evaluate your budget and do the best you can and everybody in the fair industry knows what that budget base means but you know we decided we were going to invest in things like flowers and we were going to invest in staffing and guest service models and uh, we went out and found 30 former disney employees who were living in our community and we hired them to be our guest service team wow so they'd all already been trained by disney they'd gone through the disney college program most of them had spent a semester down there or longer and we used them as the basis to do it and when we put all of them together it was transformative because they felt like they were in their environment and um, you know it really it, it's all about being intentional and purposeful um, sure we believe and believed back then and that emotional connections drive brand loyalty fairs have emotional connections with people right it's this it's one of the only industries in America where you start going as a kid, you keep going as a young adult, you may go as an adult, and then as you age, you continue going to fairs. Now, you may be interested in different things right? while you're there, but if you think about it, there's not a whole lot of places. We don't, 35-year-olds are not going to Chuck E. Cheese without their kids.
0: <laughs> this right? is true. Okay. As the like, father of a seven-year-old, I can tell you that's yeah, true. We're
1: not, yeah, I've been mean, seven, four, and one. I'm not going to these places unless I'm <laughs> drugged there by my kids. You got it. But I think fairs supersede that. Uh, fairs have this iconic place in the heart of, you know, North Americans, and uh, it's a legacy that is evolving um, and needs to move faster for sustainability. Right. Um, but it's interesting to see people like yourself that are out there trying to do that. Um, so I was there about uh, four fairs, and then uh, have since moved into private enterprise. So we have um, we're still in the entertainment tourism business. We have a, a duck boat business here in Mobile. And we've also taken over um, an old colonial fort in Sierra Mobile. It's actually a, a replica, but we've turned it into a new attraction as well. We like to say it's a hybrid of colonial Williamsburg and Epcot. So this fort in Mobile was controlled by the French, the British, the Spanish, and the Americans over the course of 100 years. Wow. We have a very unique culture here. And so what we do is we uh, change over the fort every three months. And we change the programming from French Fort Conde to British Fort Charlotte to Spanish Fort Carlotta to American Fort Charlotte. So there's always something
0: new going on here. That pr- prompts repeat visits. That's right. And um, and we use it as the
1: base of operation for our ducks. And now we're in the process of opening a restaurant here inside the Fort as well, it's called Sylvia's. Mm-hmm. We're gonna focus on Biscuits and Po' Boys. And what we wanna be is the destination. If you, if you stop in Mobile, you have to stop here. Um, and then we can become full service for you.
0: Impressive, impressive. Thanks. So the, the ducks are the interesting thing here to me. Um, having known you for a couple of years, um you know we've ragged on each other about the whole Bama thing you know my my wife's family they're all LSU so um but then when you left the fair and you went to start the duck boats Mm -hmm. expand a little more on that what is it um and is there any crossover between what you picked up from the fair or learning at the Disney Institute to how you're running that program
1: Yeah, the answer is yes. Um, So a duck boat is an amphibious vehicle. They're 33 feet long. They're about 12 and a half feet tall. They hold 35 guests at a time. We own three of them, so we can host 105 people at a time per hour. That's our throughput. Um, We spend an enormous amount of time working on our tour, and we tell our guests the same thing. This is the greatest tour in America. And if our guests get off this boat and it's the greatest tour they've been on, then they, too, believe it's the greatest tour in America. It's about priming expectations. Those are some of the things that we've learned along the way. If you tell people you have a great product and you prime their expectation and then you deliver over and above that, you've exceeded their expectations. Right. So we're not interested in meeting expectations. We want to exceed them. But we're also not interested in low expectations. We're gonna, that, that means you have to really commit to delivering the product. I mean, you gotta really put yourself out on the line if you're gonna say, this is going to be great and then back it up. So, um, you know, a lot of what I learned at the fair was uh, this ability to, in- how do you engage with a hundred thousand people sure. over ten days and make sure that everybody has the same wonderful experience? Right? Now, take that and crunch crunch it down. We get thirty five guests and we get to control their seventy minute experience. We control everything they see, do, hear, right over over seventy minutes. That's exciting because you can take this real big macro project, right? Like a state fair, and put it in a micro environment. Right. Um, and it's, you know, it's like trying to hit a golf ball out into the ocean. It's not that hard. Right. Trying to sink a putt on the 18th is a lot different than if you just had to smack it on out there into the gulf. That's what this is like when you sure. go from an event of that magnitude down to just trying to satisfy 35 guests with no outside um, forces pushing on you. You know, one of the hard things that happens in the fare industry, and this is something that we have tried to control, is... We can't control all the product. That's true. You control parts of the product. Yeah. And your guest does not care which parts you can impact and which you can't. Right. right. So I used to say, you know, not my fault is my problem. If one of the carnival workers is rude to a guest. Right. That's not my fault, but it is quickly my
0: problem. Because absolutely the ones that have to solve that. Absolutely. You know?
1: And uh, we were fortunate that, you know, we worked with name when I was... There, so you don't. We didn't have a lot of problems, but that's just one kind of idea. On, but here it's why we want to be full service. We control your experience at the fort. We can control your experience with the ducks, and now we can control the the meal you eat as well. So I don't have to worry about bringing in a vendor and hoping this vendor produces the level of quality you got expect from them, uh, because we are our own vendor. You got it. That's a lot
0: like Disney. I mean, if you consider Disney at the at the macro, I mean they've got. 47 square miles down Mm -hmm. in Disney World. That's a lot of space and a lot of people and a ton of moving parts. Having been on that college program that you mentioned earlier and been on the inside of Disney and seen it, it's mind boggling. Mm -hmm. But when you get down to that little micro moment where they, from the time you walk in or pull into that property, they can control that guest experience. Everything from literally right down to the signage on the road um, to when you when you, whether your your dining experience, your ride experience, your entertainment, everything is controlled. And you know it's funny. You know when I mentioned signage, it's one of the things that I think, having been on a lot of fairgrounds across this country, that really easily gets overlooked because we've got the the midway goes up and our vendors are here and our stage is over here with the hypnotist or whatever, and we have this fabulous experience. And I audit a lot of these fairs. I go look at their Facebook pages during and after their fair and see what guests are saying. I see more and more complaints about parking was a nightmare. I didn't know where to go. The guy doing the parking didn't know where to go. That, I mean, think about that. That is a big black eye on the guest experience and they haven't even gotten into the fair yet.
1: You know, one of the things that we really tried to work on was unifying all of our branding Mm -hmm. across all of the different aspects of the event. Right. And it didn't matter You know whether one committee was working on this or one committee was working on that you have to have a unified brand to go out and sell to the public we also created a theme every year and said this is going to be the new theme right and we would build out our experience around that but when you can't control if you're hiring out a parking vendor how do you educate them and how do you make sure that they have people out there that care right because your guest does not know or care that your parking vendor is hired out from somewhere else you got it and they don't care, they feel the same way about your food vendors. Yeah. They feel the same way about, you know, everybody that they're going to interact with. Yeah. And as fair, you know, management or the boards or the folks that are, you know, going to answer to those guests, you know, one of the great things that I always thought about when I was, you know, one of the fair was this is a 10-day event for 90% of the people that are on our campus working. Right. But we live in this community yes, and this matters to us. So when we would go out and find vendors or find entertainment, it's like, who can we trust? Because we're putting our community relationship on the line.
0: Absolutely. And how do
1: you find people that you can trust to come and, and be a part of your team that will seamlessly integrate and um, not become one of the, the horror stories you hear? Sure. Right? So our theory was always select for attitude, train for aptitude, whether it was our <laughs> team or whether or not it was a vendor, or, like, if you weren't easy to work with, it just wasn't going to work out. Like, right. you can have the best show in the country. you can have the best food that nobody's ever heard of. If you're not going to be a good, easy person to work right. with, they're just not going to do it. Right. And, you know, I think if more people to adopt that attitude, what needs to happen is those folks who are super easy to work with sure. need to get elevated, you know, and, and they need to be the ones that are out there Right. Cultivating the industry going forward.
0: Right. Yeah, I, you know, my wife's an assistant principal, and uh, of course she's got limitations on what she can do and how she can operate because of union agreements and things like that. But her attitude in administration has been for a very long time that it doesn't matter if you're the best teacher on the on, in, in the whole district. Like right. if every one of your students goes from struggling to being a straight A student in a year, you could be the best of the best. But if you're a cancer on that staff, you shouldn't be on that staff. Right. And that's it, you know, the ex- exact same principle here. Um, I see, you know, my side being an entertainer, I see a lot of that with acts that come in, they only wanna do three shows a day, they say, nope, this is the price, this, and it's very much about how much value they can extract. Right. Um, I have always looked at it as what, what more value can I give because for me, I'm in this long term for the working with fairs. Like, I don't wanna just get out of the fair industry. I wanna, you know, I wanna build a business that has long term success. What advice would you have as a now a former fair manager? You've hired entertainers, I'm sure you've hired really great ones. Um, I know you've had Kevin Venardos in mm-hmm. many times. He's down in Saint Augustine right now running his show, his circus is fabulous. And I'm sure you've hired some not so great ones. Sure. From and backing up for a second, I believe, like you talked about, what can you do for the guest experience? That guest experience starts not when they're on the Ferris wheel, but as soon as they're pulling into your lot, they're, first, they're buying their ticket. Mm-hmm. I believe my, my experience, my guest experience for you all as fair managers starts when I meet you at a convention, starts with my first contacts with you. What advice would you give to an entertainer Trying to be more successful in the industry on how to break through all of the noise that is in our industry, and and build relationships.
1: Well, I think relationship is the right word. So, it has to be relational, not transactional. Nobody wants to get transacted. Right. Nobody wants to think you know. Oh, we signed a contract. So, you know, you told me I was going to be in this spot. Now you're trying to move me 10 feet further. Well, we're not. You know, we're not trying to hurt anybody by moving them 10 feet further. Or sure. we're not You know. The reason Kevin and I got along so well and still get along so well, I just think his show is tremendous. Um, it is. Is I met him at IAPF in, in Vegas. The big tall guy standing there with a the top hat, and mm-hmm. said, "What do you do?" He said, uh, "My name's Kevin Bernardos and I have a circus." I said, "Okay." I said, "He said, What do you do?'" I said, "Well, my name's Scott Tindall, and you know I'm trying to change the way entertainment looks in fair industry in the fair industry." He said, "Very good." I said, "Do you?" you already have a circus? Like, how does it work? And I was like, do you have a sample? He's like, yeah, but I'll just build whatever circus you want. Yep. I said, okay, well, our theme is the Wizard of Oz. Can you build a Wizard of Oz circus? He said, what are you doing for dinner? I yeah. said, <laughs> said we <"Well>, <laughs> That's <dinner> Kevin. <laughs> and so, literally, we went downstairs yep. uh, in Paris and went to the steakhouse, Yep. had dinner. By the time we were finished, um, he had sketched out what this circus was going to look like, and it became a personal friendship from there, right. not a business transaction and yeah. I fully believed from the minute I met him and then the day I got to know him that he wasn't just interested in working our fair for 10 days he was interested in growing an international brand and being the future of the circus. Yep,
0: that's exactly what he wants.
1: And he didn't look at us as a stepping stone to getting there he looked at us as an opportunity to prove himself yep. and I think, you know We've worked with people who have been in the industry a long time that just, you know, maybe they're burnt out and they just put their head down and they do their thing. Um, and then they go back to their trailer the minute their show's over and you see them again the next morning uh, compared to other people who will call weeks ahead and say, hey, listen, can I go by the children's hospital while I'm there? Is there anybody, do you have any contacts there? I want to go do a yeah. show for them real quick. Um, not because we asked them to, right? because that's what they wanted. and they. You know, a good business person also understands that if you're investing in this community, they will return the favor. I mean, it's really hard for fair entertainers because you're traveling all the time, yep, and you try to keep keep that community engagement going. Now, the beautiful thing is, what you do is you can do it all through social channels. Mm-hmm. Right? You can stay engaged with everybody a lot easier than you know back in the day when you showed up two days before the show kicked right. off and you had to spend those two days to catch up. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the reason that you know the the hilarious thing here or not hilarious but in some capacity is that uh, you and I have never worked together but we've become friends yes right and I was transitioning out of the, the industry uh, as we got to know each other um, but that didn't stop you from and I from continuing our relationship yeah no. right but a lot of people would have said oh well he's not the manager there anymore so I need him exactly why I need him. Yep. Why is it worth my time energy, and energy. See,
0: I I look at, I approach the fair industry very differently. One, I know you being an entrepreneur, there's something I can learn from you, right? And maybe there's something you can learn from me. Right. So, w- whether or not you're at a fair right now doesn't really matter to me. Mm-hmm. But playing long game, right. I don't know what the future holds. In 5 years, you could be like, "Hey Robert, I took a position at the, I don't know, Florida State Fair or where like something changes or you go back to the fair here in Mobile like and you call me up. You know, I have started one of my techniques that I've used on Facebook, I've started going really successfully with. Um, you know, when you go to the person's profile under the follow button, if you click that, you can tell it see first, mm-hmm. which overrides Facebook's algorithm. Which, for those people listening that don't know what that is, the algorithm is basically a computer program that watches your behavior. And then based on your behavior, like if you click on Disney World stuff a lot, it's gonna show you Disney and theme park and Universal Studio stuff because it wants to show you what you're interested in. Anyhow, so see first overrides that and regardless of what they're posting, I get to see it. And so I, every year in January, after the convention, after the holidays, I pick between like five to eight people that I wanna build context with within the industry. And I go to their profiles and I go see first. Yeah and i do that some of them are like some of them are agriculture directors you know like they're 26 or 27 year old female directors of the agricultural program and i've already had other acts like but she can't she's not the entertainment director she's not the fair manager she can't book you and i'm like so short-sighted right because because she will be in she's, five years you got it yeah. 26 now but when she's 34 and she's the fair manager someplace, and now we've got eight years of contacts behind us. Right. Now, like you said, I don't have to transact her. I don't have to sell her. When that happens, I can just be like, hey, what kind of entertainment are you looking for for your fair? Right. You know, Is there a spot where I can be in there, or, or can I help you find somebody? Like, that's it. Right. I think looking at that long game for entertainers is, that's the key. There, so far, I've been in, my first convention in Las Vegas was 2009. So not like right on, this will be the 10th year that I've been going. The number of acts that I've seen come and go in that 10 years. I mean, that's like, I don't even feel like in a business, is that really even enough time to get started? I mean, things just, we go so fast in this industry, especially when you consider, you know, for a lot of the times when you're at the convention, you're not planning necessarily that year, you might be planning a year, two, three years ahead. Right. Um, So I feel like social channels have given our huge advantage, not only for fairs to be able to build relationships within their communities, but for performers. And I've talked to performers that are like, oh, Facebook's not good for B2B environment, for a business-to-business environment. And I'm like, oh no, it's perfect for it because unlike, see you, when you're selling your, your duck tours you're selling it as in a B2C environment. You're selling, throwing it out there to anybody that'll listen. And maybe they're interested or maybe they're not, but you don't know who those people are. Right. In a B2B environment, I know exactly who I, I know that if I wanted to come to that fair in Mobile, I needed to get to Scott Tindall. Yep. Like, if I wanna go to the Osceola County Fair, which is where I'm headed now, I gotta get with Miranda. Like, I know the name of the person, and that's so valuable. I feel like when I first started, Had a conversation before I got in the fair industry with Mark Sparks, who's the head of Triangle Talent for their Grounds Acts. Um, And he told me about, you know, instead of just sending out flyers to fairs, you need to go to the convention because then you can get their attention. And I'm like, attention, huh? This was interesting to me, the concept of getting attention. So as I started going to the conventions, I realized, just like you said, so I've got their attention for three days at the convention. And then maybe if I go book their fair, I've got their attention for that 10 days but that's still call it two weeks a year. With social media channels, I have their attention, other than a week or so around Christmas, 365 days a year. Yeah. How are you using them to grow and promote the fort to promote the ducks?
1: Uh, you know, we do almost exclusively, um, almost all of our marketing is done through social channels. And, um, what we try and do is build that emotional connection which drives that brand loyalty. So with the ducks, you know, we we do have our normal tour, that's for tourists. You know, they come in, they're here one day, this is what they want to see. But we want to be a year-round presence for our community. Sure. So we do a haunted tour in the fall. We do holiday tours during Christmas. Right now we're doing Mardi Gras tours in the spring. We'll do karaoke ducks and we'll just keep these things going because what happens is if our guests have a good experience with us, right, they will trust us on the next product we roll out. So we have an automotive maintenance shop as part of our collection of companies. And people say, how in the world does automotive maintenance have anything to do with the entertainment industry, which is where we fall on entertainment and hospitality? Right. And the answer is pretty simple. Um, we have to have mechanics on staff for our ducks. Right. We're a lot like an airline. We check them before they go out. We check them during the of day. Course. We have to check them when they come back in. But that means our mechanics only about have about 20% efficiency, 80% of the time. Uh, they could be doing work on other people's vehicles. Sure. Now, we're just a, starting up from scratch. We're an automotive shop. Like, why would anybody trust us? They would trust us because we've proven that we're the people you know, love, and trust. And if we tell you we're going to deliver this product, we're going to exceed your expectations. Right. So it almost doesn't matter what product we're selling. Once we have a, once we have created this brand awareness in the community, then we can go out and start something new. And people, right. say, oh, it's the same guys that did that. Oh yeah. Well, of course it's going to be great. Right. Sure. That's why. Um, celebrity chefs put their names on restaurants
0: right you know Gordon. Ram- oh that's Gordon Ramsey's restaurant oh yeah we've seen his show he knows what he's doing yeah, so it must be a good restaurant
1: good. sure you know because he's built that credibility up of you know? course and so we're trying to do the same thing but our vision is not just to stop in this market I mean had a just fortuitous to get to visit with Jim Pattison who's the CEO of Ripley's nice his 95 attractions in 11 countries he came and wrote our tour and uh, actually they just bought the, the duck boat business in Branson, Missouri. Nice. So um, I like to think that after he rode my tour and I gave the tour to him that I inspired him <laughs> I to,
0: had to go do yeah, it, right?
1: You know, he market. saw an opportunity. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as far as I know, I've had two chances in my life to interact with billionaires. One was on Shark Tank.
0: I was just and, about uh, to ask about that.
1: And, you know, part of what the great takeaway from that was they told us, well, you need to think bigger, right? Because kind of we got to part of the conversation where we They didn't show this part. Uh, It was edited out. But Mark Cuban said, well, what are you going to do when you get to $20 million in revenue? Then what's your plan? And our answer was just kind of like, hey.
0: Hey, we'd be happy with $20 million.
1: And his answer was, I'm not interested in investing in a $20 million business. I want to invest in a $200 million business. Sure. You've got to think bigger on how you're going to get there. So then we'll talking to Mr. Patterson. And, you know, he was just able to inspire in us that he has 95 attractions in 11 countries. Right. It's fine that we have this one. But why can't we go think bigger as well? Sure. And uh, so that's kind of their mantra now. It's like
0: we have an come and go think bigger. That's really interesting that they said that because m- my attitude, I heard, I heard Gary Vaynerchuk say once on one of his podcasts, something to the effect of it's better to put yourself out of business than have somebody else do it for you. Right. So when I got into the industry, I had a magic show. It, it was good i it wasn't like kevin vernardo's level good but i mean it was it was perfectly adequate for a fair the problem i found very quickly was the market was so crowded with magicians all trying to do the same thing that it was like okay i need to build the next how am i going to build That's out the iteration and so now conjure fortune machine comes along and last year we announced the magic show's done right. i haven't done it in like two years nobody's interested in it because Conjurer put it out of business and now so we've got a good thing with Conjure. I think we've got another five to eight years of real solid work with it. Mm-hmm. And then it'll be, everybody's seen it, it'll just be this same old thing. So already we're bringing in a new product to market called Play With Giants, mm-hmm. that Sarah and I, are as a family, we're all gonna go out and do. And so I, I think that's interesting that, as a, that billionaires are like, cool, here's your goal for this, but what's your goal to get past that? Right. And I think it goes to the saying that the thing that gets you here is almost never the thing that gets you to the next place sure. so on social how are you what level of interaction do you have with your audience are other than because you know facebook and instagram they're content push out systems you mm-hmm. see here's my commercial here's my thing come look at it yeah. but i think it, when i'm asking this question especially in relation to fares i think fairs really miss an opportunity for engagement Um, with their audiences. So when you've got people that are commenting, that are leaving reviews, what is your level of engagement in return with them?
1: So um, we have a policy and you you can build your team out to train them to do this. I don't expect all fair managers to to be able to personally respond to every message, especially the really big fairs, we get a lot of messages. Of course. Um, But we have a policy that the minute we see that, we will will respond as fast as we can. Mm -hmm. And even if we don't have the answer right then, we're gonna say, I will go find this answer for you and then you you go back and then you have to follow up with them right all about follow-up it's all about engaging with your reviews i mean i don't think it's a coincidence that we have 1200 five star reviews on a duck boat company that's only two years old yeah it's because we go out there and we're aggressive about it right and then we solicit their engagement because that is how we drive more business there sure but what we want to do is have a conversation with them in the comments i mean sometimes you can look in the comments we want to, If somebody tells us they had a wonderful time, we want to thank them for joining us. Right. We are not, we're a lot like a fair. We are not cheap. It is not cheap to go to the fair. It is no, not cheap it's not. to come ride a duck. So you're asking a lot of people. You know, if you're at a fair and you're asking a family to shell out $100, $150, that's quite the commitment that they're giving you. Right. You need to be able to provide them with that level of service. But you're right. It's not just content broadcasting. I mean, that's important. You have to do that. Right. to get your message out. But if you can engage with them and if you can humanize your fair, you know, yep. rather than make it like, oh, it's this big entity. Right. Most people, especially people outside the industry, they don't have a clue on how fairs work, how they're organized, what it you means. You got it. Um, they, you know, they think the fairs are just making all this money. They don't realize they're all nonprofits. Or sure. And a lot of cases, driven. all the
0: employees are volunteers. Yeah. Maybe the fair manager gets paid in a lot of cases. Right.
1: And so, and they don't see that. They just see the amount of money they spend. We see the carnival come in, leave. We had a perception in, in Mobile um, for years that you know the carnival just came, sucked $2 million out of our economy and, and, and took off. One of the things that we tried to turn around with that was we were gonna be that year-round presence, pouring money back into the community sure. as much as we could and donating to other nonprofits and providing our resources, providing our campus for free for other events sure. know, and doing those things. And, um, it's about creating that community culture and that brand within, within your city. Um, but I think you have to respond to it. Yeah. Right. I mean, these, this is the lifeblood of your business. If, if people stop coming, then it goes away.
0: Yeah. I, and I think that, that on the, you know, needing to respond, I think it, for the, a lot of fairs in the industry right now, it goes back to what we were talking about before we started the recording that I think there's a large number of fairs, that for whatever reason think that social media is just sort of a, a, a sprinkle of their marketing plan. Mm-hmm. They don't understand just how key it is that it, it is a completely fundamental shift in human communication. And I look at fairs that, and I go through and there's people, anything from complaints and like, I get it. People are gonna go on and go, ah, oh, spe- it was just too expensive. You know, I didn't, the corn dog was $9, uh, you know, whatever. And they like, there's people that are gonna complain about things. I get that and i understand that especially for larger fairs there's you don't have the staff to respond to six seven eight hundred comments a day a thousand comments a day i mean that's insane Um, but i just feel like there's for a lot of fairs, with the lack of the engagement um, i mean and when i here's what i tell fairs when i do my 434 my social media 434 presentation if that guest walked into your office and said hey i've got a problem You wouldn't ignore them, or if they walked in and said, "I just want to let you know, we had the best time. This is my son, my seven-year-old's first time here. He loved the Ferris wheel. We can't wait to come back." You wouldn't just turn around and walk away. You would acknowledge them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's hard. It is. It takes
1: effort, right? It goes back to effort. It's effort-based practices. Yeah. How much do you care about your guests? Sure. Do you really care about them? Sure. Um, And how do you show them that you care? You know, I also what I think a lot of what gets missed in the messaging and this is something we focus on is 90% of all discretionary spending is coming from women. It's coming from the moms. Mm -hmm. We spend all of our time targeting the moms. They're also making 80% of the financial planning decisions on on what they're going to do for the weekend. Yeah. Right? So it's fine to broadcast everything out there but dad is not making the decision if we're going to the fair this weekend. Sure. Right? Mom is. Yeah. So how do you start creating that? That's why we said we we're going to create the cleanest, most family-friendly event in America. Family-friendly. Right. Right. That means bring in uh, giant restroom trailers instead of portalettes. That means make sure you have adequate changing stations. That means make sure you have places for strollers or strollers. You alone. got it. Um, that means you know, we became the first fair east of the Mississippi to go smoke-free. We just said we were going to be completely oh, smoke-free really nice. event. That's um, you know, we learned a lesson from that. We dialed it down a little bit to have a designated smoking, smoking area. area. Sure, but we were not just going to be this free for all. You know, where my three-year-old gets burned with a cigarette while she's standing in line for the little roller yeah. coaster. Um, we uh, went and created a special space for mothers where they could breastfeed or, or pump during the day. Right now, a lot of people say, "Well, that's a lot of expense." It is, but, but it's it also an investment increases in like your the state. Yeah. Yes. From a, fina- from a guest relation standpoint, they're gonna have a better experience. Yep. From a financial standpoint, if we can increase their length of stay, then they're going to then, we're gonna have a higher per cap. They're gonna yep. spend more money. Now, what I know is with a seven, four and one year old, if my wife has to go and take the baby to the car to change it, mm-hmm. we're all leaving. Oh yeah, I mean, for we're, sure. We're gone. Yep. But if you have some facility that's clean and appropriate and comfortable for moms, Right. Then we're going to stay another couple of hours. Sure. And what you've probably done then is, if I'd already eaten lunch, you're going to get me to buy dinner.
0: Right? Yeah.
1: If I'm staying that extra two hours.
0: You got cause it. Because now instead of eating lunch at, at one o'clock, and now you're and leaving. Mm-hmm. Now you're getting into that. Oh, it's four thirty. Do we want to eat or do before we leave? Yeah. yeah. And so
1: now we're going to stay till six. And whatever yep. the girls want, we're going to we're going to get them on the way. Maybe I'll come see your show for an hour. Right. You know? Or I'll consume more of the experience. And the longer I stay on site, the more value I'm going to think I got out of your product as well. Sure. So if I'm there six hours at $150, it's a lot different than if I'm there for two hours. Right. What you don't want, and what I've seen at a lot of fairs, I'm certainly no fair expert, is uh, they do the lap and they're out. Make the lap. We made the lap, we saw everything, okay, and we're going to check it off the list, we've gone to the fair for 30 years, we've gone to the fair this year. Sure. We did some research, we found that on average, people were coming back to our fair 2.2 times over the 10 days, which was good for me. Right. That meant, that meant two things. It meant people were having a good experience and they were coming back again. Yes. What it also meant was there was a whole lot of people in the market that weren't coming to the fair that we could go and try and get to the For that first time. For Sorry, the first because visit. Because if you just look at your number of attendees. It's not an actual representation of the number of individual humans.
0: Of course. You know? It's just like on a website. You have visitors, and then you have unique, unique. visitors. Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. Tell me how many hits you had. Right.
1: Tell me how many unique visitors
0: you're seeing. Absolutely. Well, and I remember, um, you know, our son Nathan is seven now, but there were, early on when I got into the industry, there were several times, like, I want to say Nate was 2012, so he would have been about to turn two. So he was about... 20 months 22 months at that point um, and I was at the Arizona State Fair and Sarah took a long weekend I flew I was already there but I flew her and Nate in went and picked him up at the airport and the next day it was like and the Arizona State Fair is huge I mean it's it's one of the 10 largest state fairs in the country and Sarah for all the walking around was like literally I'm spending 45 minutes to an hour hour and a half at a time in the petting zoo like that was it and You know there are fairs that will say, oh, but we've got a magician and a juggler, and but that magician and juggler do no good for a two-year-old. You know, and so and he was at that awkward age where he couldn't even get on kiddie rides. He wasn't even tall enough for that. Um, In fact, I think there was a point where he could get on a roller coaster in Disney World, but he couldn't get on like a little merry-go-round or whatever at a fair because they tend to have more restrictive standards with the in our industry. but I think that fairs are are really... The fairs I've talked to, especially now that we're creating Play With Giants, are really starting to see that that children's area... the f- And not just children's, but a family fun zone mm-hmm. is worth its weight in gold. Because like you said, if you're keeping mom happy, they're going to stay there longer. And then financially, the upside is enormous.
1: Well, and we have to get away from the idea that... Uh, the price of music has greatly outpaced the price of a fair ticket. Yeah, you know, in the '80s, that was kind of the model: get the music in, give them the show, right, come and see it. Uh, we just started evaluating everything from a financial perspective, and just thought we can't keep continuing to do the same things. And there was a little pushback in the beginning. Well, well the fair is where I go to see this great concert. We like, say, well, sorry, the market's changed a little bit. We're going right. to do our very best to provide you with the best value we can to ensure that the fair stays open for the future. Right, you know. And what we've also found um, was that, you know, vendors especially, they'd say, well, how many, how many attendees come to your fair? And I'd say, well, you know, this is how many paying guests we have. Right. And they'd say, well, that's not, what they, that's not what they told me or that's not what these other fairs do. And I'm like, that really, though? That's something that needs to be addressed in the fair industry. Is this kind of reporting of numbers to flub them to make you feel better about yourself? Oh, yeah. I always told our And those, sponsors, top, those told, top
0: five fairs are notoriously – I know that I've heard – I've been in the Texas convention long enough. The State Fair of Texas and the Houston Livestock Show, they go back and forth. But when you're getting up to $2, million, 2 How do you how do you do that? Like right. unless you are completely controlled like Disney is at your entrance, yeah. how do
1: you know? Well, my point was always to our sponsors. It was like, I'm going to tell you the truth because I don't want you to come out there and say, where are all these people you promised me? And then I see you in the grocery store and say, oh, that guy, he misled me. Right. He asked me to pay this much money in cash to get in front of this many eyeballs. And I didn't. And he didn't deliver them. Yep. So talking about the long game, it was always about the long game. Oh, we're not gonna go out there and mislead those people. Sure. So when our food vendor calls and says, You know, well, how many people would I expect to see? We're just going to tell them how many paying guests they have. And we're not counting everybody that works there all 10
0: days. Right. Uh,
1: And then they need to make their own business decisions. But if I'm not telling them the truth, then I'm misleading them, and I'm fundamentally part of the problem. Sure. And we just weren't worried about where we fell on the rankings of uh, attendance. You know, not right. Doesn't solve any of our localized
0: issues. What's funny to me is I see a lot of parallels between f- fairs and wanting to beef their attendance numbers, and people on social wanting to have be like, I have fifty thousand followers on Instagram, and I'm like, I don't care. Right. Nobody like, nobody cares really how many followers you have unless you're like Kendall Jenner or somebody, and you're dealing with multi-million dollar, you know, advertising right. deals. Nobody cares. Like for me, I've got like 700 and something followers on Instagram and probably 80 to 100 of them are key people I need within the industry. But again, I don't need 50 or 100,000 followers because I'm B2B. I need to get in front of that right 100 to 200 fare personnel right. every year.
1: Yep.
0: Wow. Well, the uh, the fair market's definitely changing. I am seeing some really good stuff coming out with fares though. I mean, they're starting to... Lately I'm seeing a lot of storytelling about the really positive stories that are coming from the agricultural side. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think for a, a good while there, um, the the animal rights groups really had the edge on the fair industry because they, they got out off the starting line quick mm-hmm. um, in telling their stories and I think it was hurting some of the fair industry because for whatever reason people believe everything on the internet. Of course they you know? <laughs> do. Um, but I'm starting to see some really good stories about the positive benefits of our agricultural industry on our communities, and I mean, that's it. I, I've said for a long time, you tell your story or somebody else is gonna tell it for you.
1: Well, you know, one of the ways that we approached kind of the animal rights issues, and uh, we get, we just got really fortunate at one point, one of the years I was there, we hosted uh, Ringling Brothers Blue Unit for the winter. They mm-hmm. wintered on our campus. Yeah. So we had to spend three months with the circus, but you know, we had an animal act, and um, I got a letter from PETA that said, "Don't you know that you know we have X number of millions of members, and you know we're going to protest your event." And, and my thought was twofold: uh, one, your people from all over the country are not going to protest this event, so I'm not that worried about it. Right. Two. If you have your ten people show up on the corner, I guarantee you the news is going to be here, and that will be wonderful because it'll be an extra night of oh, coverage for the oh, fair. For the fair, yeah. Um, but then my response to them was, I think they said they had like seven million people or something. And my answer was like, all right, look, I will be happy to cancel this act if each of your members will just donate a dime to our nonprofit. So if you can raise seven hundred thousand yeah. uh, know, dollars, yeah,
0: donate it to our nonprofit, a dime.
1: Yeah, each of your members just donates a dime to our nonprofit. Right. Is this not worth a dime? Is that not worth a dime to you? And uh, they don't really have a response when you put them back, put the question on them. Sure. You know. Sure. Um, so you know, there's a lot of wonderful entertainment acts out there that have animals and treat of them with respect and kindness, and yeah. we're never scared to vote animals. And on, on the you know the 4-H FFA side nobody cares about those animals more than those kids do
0: oh you're, yeah i mean that is you know they've you grown up know. raising their pigs and their sheep right. and their yeah, yeah no absolutely more than that. absolutely so
1: we were always kind of aggressive back of them, You know, just weren't, weren't scared to push them around a little bit. right because it doesn't matter if they have seven million members well how many of them in wichita can protest you if you're in
0: wichita I, right. yeah that's it i mean, that's I what mean you gotta worry about. if you yeah. have a hundred of them show up and, and here's my thing on the protesting deal Show up, yeah. protest, you know? Well, it, it, within the industry, you guys know, we can designate you out of time, place, and manner, spot, and say, here's your spot, have at it. Yeah. And, and I, I, I guess I think, when you look at the whole world of politics and whatnot that we're in, when you're dealing with protests, a lot, I, my observation is a lot of the, the tension and the fight comes from when one side says, we're gonna protest, and the other side says, well, no, you're not. Right. Well, just let them go have their say. And as long as you're chill and you're... I mean, if something becomes violent, now we have a problem. That's different. But, like, go wave your signs. Who cares? Tomorrow still comes. That's right. Awesome. Anything else you want to add?
1: Just appreciate you having me on. It's been fun.
0: Where... um, If people want to come do a really cool duck boat tour, and I, I frankly, I hope later in the uh, summer, if Sarah and I get back down here, that we can come do one, uh, where can they find the duck boats.
1: So our website is gulfcoastducks.com but we're located in downtown Mobile uh, right here at the Florida Colonial Mobile and it's really hard to miss us but you'll have a wonderful experience. Every other Duck Tour splashes you in the water once. We splash you in the water three different times. We're the home of the Triple Splash. So once in Mobile Bay and twice in the Mobile River and just get a wonderful unique cultural experience.
0: Three splashes. Three splashes. That's excellent uh, marketing.
1: Thanks. (laughs) <laughs> and then, if anybody wants to get in touch with me, uh, they can find me at scotttindle.com or through any of my social channels. Um, I'm Scott Tindle on all of them. And, awesome. Uh, you know, I'd love visiting with people and like you. I'm just happy to build relationships. And it doesn't matter that I'm not in the fair business. I'm in the entertainment business, I'm in the right. tourism and hospitality business. And We're all on the same team. We're all in team. this together,
0: you know. For sure. Awesome. Scott, thanks for being on the show today. That was a lot of fun. Thanks.